0: Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org
1: or click the link in the show notes. I went out with a friend and his family just for the day sailing off the coast. Uh, We were out there and it was beautiful and we came along a pod of whales And this one really big whale literally came right along the side of the boat. It was big, beautiful, magnificent creature uh, and literally had her baby right alongside and it started to run right next to the boat. And I swear, every time the whale came up, I could see its eye and it looked like it was smiling at me. like We were buddies and the kids were going crazy. It was amazing. And you know, whales have their own language. They're beautiful, powerful and majestic. Usually the only time you get to see a whale is if you go to a giant aquarium where like in SeaWorld or some other place, you can see how great whales are. I mean, they're clearly intelligent. They have them and train them to do all sorts of great tricks. But when they're in an aquarium, you know, they are not free and they are not wild. They are in a pen. And what's amazing is I remember that there was an activist group that just was so upset that these Whales were stuck in these pins that somehow they got to the place where they got to release one out into the ocean. And what happened next surprised everyone. The whales swam away. It went for, you know, a little bit of time for a long distance, a few days. And then incredibly, the whale came back to the aquarium. It decided that it wanted to live in this small aquarium instead of living in the great ocean, and the great outdoors, and the wildness of it. It was safer in the pen. It was better to be taken care of and to have people that would watch out for it. It decided it didn't want to live in the wild. The people of God had the same choice. God delivered them out of the slavery of Egypt. Uh, They were free. Then he took them into the wild, to the wilderness, and said, you have to now live dependent on me. They had a choice. We're going to be dependent on God in the wild, trusting him in faith. Or go back to Egypt and look at what they said. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die? Isn't that what you, we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And now Paul is writing in the book of Galatians to people in the first century then And to us now, because we face the exact same decision. Will we live in freedom of God's grace, the freedom of God's love in the wildness of having to trust him by faith? Or are we going to live in slavery and legalism, being bound by rules and laws, being locked into moral cages and living in a religious zoo that kind of controls us and makes us safe. And this is what Paul's referring to. And so now as I read to you out of Galatians 4, eight through 11, look at how Paul contrasts these two ways of living. He says, but in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather, and this is the key phrase, have become to known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Here, you can see how he contrasts the two lifestyles. He's saying you have a choice. You can live in freedom in the wild of God's provision and faith, or basically you can go back to legalism. And I love what he says in this passage. He says, you know God, or shall I say God knows you? And I love the contrast in that passage because it's one thing for us to know God, but our knowledge of God is always based on human understanding and how far we can go, which is Paul identifies as weak and partial because it's affected by our moods and our perspective and the circumstances. And we all know this, we live this way. I mean, when life is going well, and our circumstances are good, it's easy for us to say God's good and He's loving and He provides and He protects. But when our life is blowing apart, it's harder for us. And we say, is God good? Is He really protecting? Does He really watch out for me? And we lose the perspective. And Paul says, you know, it's one thing we know God, but it's way better, should I say, that God knows us. He's taken a hold of us. He he knows us completely and he loves us. It's the difference when I walk with my grandkids, you know, they'll say, you know, as we walk across the street, "Here, let me hold your hand." And they thinking they they think they're holding my hand. But it's way more important that I'm holding their hand and taking them across the street because they can't break free and I'm going to hold them and love them. And so Paul's point is, you know, live continue to live in freedom, being known by God, you don't want to go back to the aquarium. You don't want to live in the the restriction and the moral cages of the law. He goes, you want to live free. That's the way you want. And so Paul makes this very powerful point. And since chapter two, he's been laying out a very logical argument that's consistent point by point. But right now, what he does starting in verse 12 is he switches the way that he speaks And now he's gonna speak in a very personal way. When I was a freshman, I played uh, football. And I remember, you know, all of us were freshmen. None of us knew how to play, really tackle football. It was new to all of us, but we had this coach that was so affirming. He was so encouraging. He was always positive. And we loved to learn from him because every time on the field, affirmation and encouragement. And I remember we went through a good part of the season, but right about the seventh game, we played a game and we played terrible. I mean, we lost, we forgot, we lost the game, but it seemed like we had forgotten everything that we learned. That next day when we showed up for practice, the coach showed up in a totally different way than what we were used to. He said something that surprised us. He sat down, he didn't yell at us. He just said, you know, guys, I am so disappointed. I am so sad. I thought that you knew better your assignments. Ah, I am so sad that you don't understand. And he spoke with such personal conviction. I can remember the whole team was just riveted because he changed the way that he was speaking. That's what Paul's gonna do in this passage. He goes from laying out an argument to now he's going to speak in a very personal and passionate way. Look at what he says in Galatians 4, 12 through 20. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of the weakness of the flesh. You did not despise me or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. So then, I, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? They court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. But is it always good to be pursued in a good manner or is it just when I am with you? My children, I'm again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. You can see in this passage, Paul writes in such a personal way. And he's writing about these false teachers that basically are saying, there's two classes of Christians. You're saying there's Christians who believe in Jesus and those are beginners. They're sort of lightweights. They're really people who've not gone deeper. And then there's this second class, the more spiritual group, they're serious. They, they follow, they're more devoted, they have a blessed life, they have a closer relationship with God. And the reason is, is because they're taking a hold of the Old Testament, this 2000 year old history of, of God's rules and regulation. And they're saying, you need to trust in the Old Testament. And the sign of trusting in God is being circumcised. And so you can imagine, there's just a lot of guys that are saying to their wives, you go ahead and go to church, uh, I think I'll just stay home and watch the game because they're saying, it's all about what you do. But remember, what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to show us that we needed God, that we couldn't live up to his standards, and also to give us a promise that one day God would provide. And so Jesus comes and he fulfills all of the law. He lives a life that we couldn't live. He lives a perfect life. Then he dies on the cross and he takes our sins but he also fulfills all of the promises that are in the Old Testament. He covers our sin, which is what's celebrated in the Day of Atonement. He forgives us our sins and removes them as far as the East is from the West. That's pictured in the scapegoat. And then he is the perfect sin sacrifice, what the people celebrated in the Old Testament as the Passover. And so I know, I know, For those of you that are listening, there's no one that's going, you know, I think I'm going to double down on the law. I think the way to get closer to God is to be circumcised. Nobody thinks that. But the problem is, while we might not think that, the reason that God inspired Galatians is because what we do is we believe that through legalism, by our performance, that somehow we can get closer to God. Now, I'm going to explain The difference, and this is what he highlights this whole passage. Legalism, it starts here. It starts with, I obey God. And what it says is God wants a closer relationship with me, that there is possible to go to deeper spirituality and there's greater blessing. And so what I do is I obey God. God sees my blessing and based, God sees me trying hard and doing what I'm doing. And as a result of my obedience, God Blesses me. So he answers my prayers because I have been good and I worked hard. He blesses me by his provision and protection. Uh, I benefit. I have more money because I'm following God. I'm, I'm, God has to give me more money because I'm obeying him. There's a deeper experience of God's love because I've earned it. I worked for it. God has to give it to me. That is the whole mindset of legalism. I obey God. God sees my obedience and therefore he blesses me. But what Paul's saying is that is not grace. That is not freedom. It starts with obedience. What freedom is, is it starts with this mindset. God loves me and blesses me. I am his love child. He chose me. He sent Jesus to die on the cross to reestablish a broken relationship that I didn't even care to restore. But God did that. And he cares for me. He watches out for me. He protects me. He provides for me. Every day, he adopts me into his family. He gives me every good gift. He couldn't love me more. There's nothing that I could do to be more lovable. God loves me and blesses me. I begin to see and understand that I'm as God's loved child. I mean, it just overwhelms me. And as a result of being loved so thoroughly by God through Jesus, I can't help but follow him. I obey because I am so loved. That's what grace is. That's what freedom is. And so this is what Paul is highlighting. And he says in Galatians 4, this is why I want Christ formed in you so that you live in freedom, that you're understanding that it's all about Jesus. It's not about what we do. And what I love in this passage is that Paul gives us seven signs in our lives that show creeping legalism, where you can identify in your life where legalism is starting to creep into your life. So as we go through this, those of us that are followers of Jesus, you get an opportunity to identify what are the tendencies that I have that push me towards legalism. And for those of you that are trying to figure it out, you'll love this because you'll see that following Jesus really is a life of freedom. The first sign that you're, you know, you're legalistic is that you live a powerless life. Look at what he says in 4.9. How can you turn back to the weak and worthless elements and be enslaved all over. He's saying, what's weak and worthless? It's all about your obedience. It starts with, I obey God, which is a weak and worthless place to start. You know, you're basically trying to get God to follow your agenda. Later in Galatians, we'll see that what God is doing in our lives is he's producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. This is what the Holy Spirit's working. But what we do that's weak when we're trying to, you know, and powerless is we're trying to do it in our own power. We're saying, God, I want to be powerful. I want to be independent. I want to have fame. I want to have money. And God, I want you to do this in my life. So we get, we try to get God to do our agenda instead of joining God in what he's doing in our life. So the question is, are you tired? I mean, are you just tired and exhausted trying to obey God through your you know, and thinking in your obedience that you're gonna find a closer, deeper relationship. He goes, that's not gonna work. The place to start is with God's love for you and just let that envelop your whole life. The second thing, the second warning sign is that we focus on externals. He says, you're observing special days, months, seasons, and years, and this idea is that you're trying to earn God's favor and you're just focusing on the externals and the days, is like the Sabbath day in the Old Testament. God gave to his people the Sabbath day to celebrate that God rested on the Sabbath day and the promise that God would give us rest. It was a way of expressing faith in God. God, I'll work six days and I'll trust you, not working on the seventh day, with this great promise that you will provide, I will rest in you. And ultimately, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those Sabbath day rests. It says in Hebrews 4, 9 that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And so in the Old Testament, what they did is you would say, well, okay, I can't work on the Sabbath. I've got to, you know, and so it's like, well, how much work is work? And so instead of trusting God, they would, they just kept adding laws and more laws to to the rules that are already there, because it was like, we'll just lock ourselves in a moral cage. So much so that literally one of the laws they said was a person that's a seamstress can't put a needle in their lapel because they might carry that needle on the Sabbath day and they wouldn't be resting. So it's like, no, we celebrate days. We've got to celebrate this idea of the Sabbath. I can't even do that. And they got so wound up but it was just a picture that one day Jesus would come and he would be our Sabbath rest. He would die on the cross so we could rest from working. We would be forgiven. Our relationship with God would be restored and we could rest in that relationship with God. In Hebrews, it says, therefore, we can go right into the presence of God and find the grace and the help that we need in God's presence. So It's all about, you know, legalism is about performance. It's about externals. It's what you can measure. So if I said to you, how are you you doing in your relationship with Jesus? I mean, how are you growing? What are you doing to grow in your relationship? Now, I understand the answer, but watch this because it's just creeping legalism. If your answer is, oh, you know what? I'm going to church and I went to Rooted, which is really good. And besides that, I'm in a small group and I got baptized and I'm giving, All of those things, while they're good, they're really not the way that we grow closer to Jesus. The way we grow closer to Jesus is learning to rest in Jesus, the work of Jesus, what he has done. It doesn't mean we don't do those things, but because Jesus has loved us and forgiven us, then we follow him doing good things, but it isn't about earning it. I have a tendency to fall in this way because what I do is when I want something from God, I focus on the externals I go, God, and you know, I'm, I want an answer to prayer or I need something in my life. And in my prayer life, I hear myself saying these things, God, would you please, and if you do, I will, I'll try harder, I'll do more of this, I'll fast, I'll give more. All of that is that sign of creeping legalism. See, I'm trying to show, God, look at what I'm doing, see it, and because you see I'm trying so hard, then ultimately you will bless me. So the question is, how about you? Do you believe that through your obedience that there's a higher spiritual plane that you can achieve? Do you think that there's a second blessing, a closer relationship? There's a more deeper experience. There's more love available. And the way that you get that is that you just double down and you obey and you work harder and you try harder so that you can earn it and be worthy of it. And when God sees it, then God's gonna release all of this blessing or... Do you live a life of grace where you say, God, you love me. I'm amazed by your grace. There's nothing I can do to earn more of it. I don't focus on what I do, I'm focusing on what Jesus does. I'm embracing his love. And because I realized I'm such a loved child, then I follow him. I do what he wants, I do obey but the motivation is so different. So he points out this focus on externals. And then the third sign of creeping legalism is the lack of compassion. Look at what he says. He says, I preached the gospel to you because of weakness in my flesh. You didn't despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. You received me like I was an angel or Jesus himself. And in this passage, what it is, is that when Paul showed up in Galatia, he had some kind of physical issue. We don't know if it was because he was persecuted and beaten We don't know if it was a sickness, but what what we do know is it was a physical condition that was absolutely repulsive. And it would be natural for people to just reject Paul because of how he looked or fear that they might get the same disease that he had. But he says, you didn't despise me. You didn't reject me. You took me in and you cared for me as if I was an angel or even Jesus himself. But he goes on, he says, but now, but now, When someone shows up, you don't lead with compassion. You're basically saying, do they have the right pedigree? Do they have the right birthright? Do they have their life together? If they can't get their life together, I'm not showing compassion. And Paul says to them, he goes, this lack of compassion shows how legalism has creeped into your life. I want you to understand that because Jesus in Matthew 25, He says all the nations will be gathered before God at the end of of time. And God will divide all of humanity between sheep and goats. And the way he divides them is he says to the sheep, those on his right, he says, you who are blessed, you come. Because I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And those on the right that are blessed say, Jesus, when did we ever see you hungry, thirsty, sick? When did we ever care for you? And Jesus says, inasmuch as you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And then he turns to those on his left and he says, away from me. He goes, because I was hungry, thirsty, a stranger, as naked. And sick. you didn't care for me. And they said, when did we see you? naked or hungry or thirsty. And he goes, in as much as you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. And here's why that's so important. When we show compassion to the least, to the forgotten, to the broken, to the hurting, we are living out the story of grace in our lives. We were the people that were hungry spiritually. We were broken. We were strangers. And God came to us in the person of Jesus and he rescued us. We were beggars without bread, and he gave us spiritual food. And when we act out compassionately to people, we are living out the truth of our own salvation. This is what God did for me in Jesus. How can I not do it for you? But when we lose compassion and we begin to say, you know what? Get a job. This is because of your poor choices. You know, if I give something to you, you're just gonna go and repeat the same cycle of, of poverty. I can't do that. When that happens, you're destroying your own soul because you're starting a journey to believe that that's how God treats you. So unless you get it together, unless your life can be put together, unless you earn it, God isn't gonna be compassionate with you. And so it's very he's saying, look at, don't lose compassion. Because legalism is just gonna creep into your life and there'll be pride and arrogance. It will destroy your soul. And then the next one that he has is a loss of joy. Look at 14, 15. He says, where is that joyful, grateful spirit you felt then? Legalism is all about performance. It's saying, I gotta earn it. I gotta deserve it. You know, if I make a mistake, I lose God's best plan for my life. You know, now I'm a failure. I've gotta try to earn it back but that's not the way it works. God loves us. And you see, when you're stuck with this legalistic mindset, you're, you're taking all of the difficult and challenging problems of life. And you're saying, you know what? I've just got to lock myself in a moral cage and I've got to be in a religious zoo so that it'll control me to do the things that I want. But when I do that and focus on performance and what I can do, I lose all of my joy I get tired. But when I trust in Jesus, I'm living in the wild open spaces where I'm living in his love. I'm trusting in his grace. I'm saying, God, you are good. I live a joyful life. And then the next one is being judgmental. He says in verse uh, 16, he says, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? You see, When you start being a legalistic person, you can't manage the truth anymore because you're always trying to manage the truth. You're always trying to manage your image. You're not honest with yourself anymore. And when you're not honest with yourself, it gets really easy to judge others. Jesus said, you know, you have a beam in your own eye and you're focused on a speck in another person's eyes. And so the question is, is it really easy for you to identify the specks? in other people's lives. I mean, they're there and they're hurting people and you're just trying to help. You just wanna be good and say, you know, there's a problem. But when we're spec, you know, people that are always trying to look at that problem in another person's eyes, basically we're just sliding towards legalism. And then in 17 and 20, it says, but these false teachers, they're so eager to win your favor. I was wish I was with you right now, but I, you know, and so he's saying, look at these false teachers that he's talking about here. they have these two levels of spirituality. There's the beginners, you're trusting in Jesus. But if you really wanna go deep with God, you want a second blessing, a deeper spirituality, you've got to follow the law. Get on the treadmill of performance. You've gotta lock yourself into that moral cage, get a part of a religious zoo. And so you start earning it. You start obeying God. And so you obey him, read your Bible, get into a small group, you know, start doing that. And you, and God will see all of these good things that you're doing. And then he'll open up his arms of blessing. And it's just a sign that you are slipping towards legalism as opposed to embracing grace and saying, God couldn't love me more. God, I'm amazed at how much he loves me. I don't have to obey my way to his love. He is always loving. He is always giving. He is this incredible God who is always doing good. And then the last sign that you're sliding towards legalism is that you're not standing firm, but you're just falling all the time into legalism. For freedom, Christ has set us free in one, It says, stand firm then and don't submit to the yoke of slavery. This idea is when you start with, it's about my obedience, you're just gonna trip yourself. Now, Paul has this passion And he says, look at I want you to pay attention. And now what he's gonna do is he's saying there's two lifestyles. And basically he says, you love the Old Testament. He goes, well, let me show you a story in the Old Testament that illustrate these two ways to live. One is like, you'll see Hagar, which is legalism. The other is Sarah, which is by grace and freedom. And so he contrasts these two. So it's a big passage of scripture. I'll explain the story, but try to follow along, capture the two lifestyles. Tell me, who you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through the promise. These things are being taken figuratively, for the woman represents two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she's in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother for it is written, rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth, burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now to you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then, the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one that was born as a result of the Spirit. So also now, but what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but are the free woman. So I know if you don't know the story, I'm gonna tell it to you real quick and you'll get the idea of the two lifestyles. God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna give you land and I'm gonna bless the whole world through you. You're gonna have a son and that son is gonna bless the whole world ultimately where the Messiah comes along. Abraham's like 75 years old when God makes this promise. Sarah's 65. So it's a promise of the son, which they're already beyond childbearing years. But years pass and nothing happens. And then watch what Sarah does. Sarah says, something is wrong with me. And while God wants to fulfill his promise, God needs some help. And this is the birthplace of all legalism. When we think God wants to do something, but he needs our help to do it. And so he's saying, you know, God wants to do it. God just didn't anticipate me getting this old. And so, and we all have those moments. There's these moments that we think, you know, God's made promises to love me, to protect me, to provide. He intended to, it's just not happening. And so I'm just going to have to step out. And we think that we're going to help God. It always leads to bad roads and it's about legalism. So Sarah goes, I have an idea. She comes to her husband, just imagine this. And she says, look at, I can't have a child, but I have a servant, a slave who's named Hagar. She's way younger. She's an Egyptian, pretty young girl. He goes, Abraham, you sleep with her. Then we'll have a child and we'll have a family through her. So Abraham, (laughs) you go, okay. And he does it. And immediately what happens is Hagar gets pregnant and Hagar starts to persecute Sarah. She looks down on her because Sarah's barren. And in that culture, it was a very shameful thing. And she's Sarah is hurt and jealous and angry. And Hagar just persecutes Sarah. Hagar has a child. His name is Ishmael. He's the father of the Arab nation. And for 13 years, Sarah and Abraham believe that this is God's fulfillment of the promise. They think that this is the way God's gonna fulfill his promise but it isn't and then what happens when abraham is 99 years old and sarah is 89 god comes back and he says ishmael is not the son of promise he says but you two at <laughs> 99 and 89 are going to have a son to which sarah just laughs because <laughs> that's that's not even possible and one of the greatest verses in the bible god says is there anything too hard for God, which is a profound thought because all of us have things in our mind where we've decided it's just too hard. Even God can't do it. God can't, He can't heal me. God can't heal our family. He can't give me a job that I love. God can't fix this brokenness in my life. He can't free me from this addiction, from these bad habits. You know, where in your life have you decided that it is impossible for God to work? He says, nothing is impossible with God. And here's what's amazing. At 100 years old, when Sarah is 90 years old, Sarah gives birth to a son. His name is Isaac. And she gives birth in the geriatric ward and Medicare pays for it and they laugh. And then every time they go to the grocery store, they buy diapers and Depends and they laugh, and every night at the dinner table, they all eat baby food because there isn't a tooth at the table, and they all laugh, and they celebrate that the impossible is possible with God, but when Isaac is 12 years old, Hagar, or Ishmael, is in his 20s, and he taunts Isaac, and Sarah sees it, and she gets really mad, and so Sarah dismisses Hagar, and that's why it says, What do the scriptures say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co heir with the son of the free woman. Saying, Ishmael has no inheritance. He's not the son of promise. Here's the whole point of it there's two ways to live. You can live like Hagar, which is a legalistic lifestyle, there's no inheritance. It's a life of pain, sadness, competitiveness, comparison, jealousy, trying to manipulate God to get what you want. Or, you can live the life of Sarah, which is a promise. It's about being God's miraculous power. It's trusting in a God who is good, that God can do the impossible and only God can, and it's trusting what God can do. And then he closes it all by saying this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul is simply saying, do not trust that it's your obedience, that somehow God's gonna see that obedience. And because you work hard, you try, you behave, you good your way to God. God sees all of your efforts and your goodness. You exhaust yourself being good. That somehow because of that, you get to a higher spiritual plane, that you pry out of God's hands all of the blessings that you want that he really doesn't want to give you. Because you've obeyed him, God has to give him to you. Don't live like that because it's not true. It's slavery and it's just death. Or he says, instead, enjoy the wild open space of freedom. God has set you free. And yeah, it's more risky because you're living by faith, but it's all about embracing God's good love for you, how he cares for you, that there's nothing that you can do to make yourself more lovable to God, more good, God is a God who just pours out love. And when we understand that love, it transforms our life. And we can't help but obey and follow Jesus because we are his love children. Is that good news? And that's what Paul teaches us in Galatians. So God, would you give us the ability to live in the beauty of your love, in the wildness of faith, trusting that you are good, all the time, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: All right, extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariners Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariners Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariners app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.